So we're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. Three verses for us today as we talk about love, love, love. If you would, once you find your place there in 1 John 4, would you stand and join me as we, as we honor the word of God and we read it. 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the command we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. First Baptist Church of Greg Gables, the, the, everything that we have, all of our hope is in the word of God. Amen? Let's thank God for it. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is so sweet as we read it. Lord, I, it's like, like honey from the comb. Lord, as we've already talked about, it's a, it's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And so, Lord, would you shine the light of your word in our hearts by the work of your spirit. Teach us, correct us, rebuke us, instruct us in righteousness, Lord. That we would know you and that we would live to make you known. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I need, I need you to do me a favor for me this morning. Uh, I want you to finish this lyric. All you need is love, okay? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's right. That's right. Isn't it interesting? We, we hear that. We hear more and more songs like that. There are so many. Is that if the, if the world just had a little love, then everything would be all right. And yet, the world, and, and not to exclude ourselves from that, but even in our own hearts. If you're like me, sometimes we can't, we can't even in our own hearts agree on what love is. What it means. The world and us along with it, we tend to view love as something determined by how we feel about someone or uh, how we feel about something else. How it makes us feel. I love this food. I love that team. I love this show. I, I love that person. Now, please understand what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that feelings are worthless. God made us as emotional creatures. And he gives us, um, he talks frequently about them in the Bible. So I'm not saying that feelings shouldn't be along, along for the ride. I'm saying they shouldn't be driving the car. Feelings can be, and emotions can be, a very helpful passenger, but they are a terrible driver for your life and for mine. Think about it. I love this food until I realize it has that ingredient that I don't like. I love this team until they let me down again just before the championship. Any Atlanta Braves fans in the house this morning? Since Dale Murphy days, folks. We are a sad bunch. I love that show until they kill off my favorite character. I love that person until they let me down or they get on my nerves or they hurt me. Friends, that's not love. But then the question is, what is it? What is love? 
If we can't understand what love truly is, then this is a huge problem for us in how we understand and even obey the scriptures. After all, the the scriptures, the Bible itself is given to us by God. And the Bible tells us what? That God is love. And so before we we dive into the text this morning, I just want to divert us for a second to Ephesians chapter 5 as Paul instructs husbands on how to love their wives. And I think this is the most beautiful picture. I want you to hear this. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Paul writes this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. And what? Gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her. So that what? He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present, him, uh, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Church, that's love. That's love. God shows us in his word time and time again that love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not something that... that, that invades into our lives and, and then leaves again like, a, like the measles, right? I'm in love with you. I'm out of love with you. That's not what the Bible says about love, that it's a choice accompanied by emotion. Not led by, but accompanied by emotion to sacrificially give of yourself for the good of someone else. Love, according to the Bible, is a choice accompanied by emotion to sacrificially give of yourself, your time, energy, money, possessions, etc., for the good of someone else. And as we talked last, night, last week when we talked about comfort, about how in Christ we know that someone's ultimate good, again, we're serving for the good of someone else, the ultimate good for anyone is their maturity in Christ. We're, we're because it's preparing their hearts for joy. It's preparing their hearts for the ultimate joy. Psalm 1611, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasure forever. And so the height of, of good for anyone is to be prepared for joy in the presence of Christ, glorying in him. And boy, when we look at our passage today, I don't know if you noticed it when we read it, we see a lot of love in just three verses. Seven times. The, the Apostle John uses the word love. And that word love here really has a strong connection to another word that's used pretty frequently throughout the book of 1 John. And that word is know. Not N-O, but K-N-O-W. I had to think about that. That was kind of scary. Did I spell no correctly? All right, here we go. The word know. In fact, we find that word used in, in the passage that the Brother Mark read for us just a few minutes ago. John gives his purpose statement for writing this entire letter there in chapter 5. False teachers had crept into the church and were undermining the gospel. And this caused massive, massive confusion around, I think, probably one of the most important things that we should really know about. And and that is, how do I know that I'm in Christ? How do I know that I have eternal life? And John wrote this. John wrote this in chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, know that you have eternal life. 
I'm convinced that the God of the Bible is telling us this morning that, that love is important. Not just, as, just, not just morally in our conduct toward other people, but as an indicator of whether or not we have, indeed, eternal life. And in this passage, we see three things specifically about love. We see a truth about love, we see a warning about love, and a command about love. And let me, let me encourage you then, if you've, if you've got a pen with you, take notes on this. Not because I'm preaching, because that's, that's really the least of our concerns at this point. But because holding on to what we're studying is essential for life transformation. If we're going to grow in Christ, we need to remember. You think about it, every time there was revival throughout the Bible, what was usually the, the, the first command? To remember. Remember what the Lord has done. And when it comes to remembering, friends, I found in my own life that the, that the weakest ink is better and greater than the strongest memory. So let's be a note-taking people. Not because we want to be big Bible heads walking around with a whole bunch of knowledge, but so that we can, we can understand and apply and obey God's word. So let's jump in and let's look at this first, this first mention of love. A truth, number one, a truth about love. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. John says that our love as Christians has a cause, and that cause is Christ. And that begs a question then. And, and Ms. Brenda, I think I, I think I already told you this, but there, you couldn't have picked a more beautiful song for today because the question then is, we love because he first loved us. Then church, how has he loved us? Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say this, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, literally the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins. That's 1 John 4, 9 through 10. While we were dead in our sins with nothing to offer God, the God of the Bible, our just and gracious creator, showed his love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, bearing God's infinite wrath, his righteous wrath, upon himself on the cross and showing his power over death and rising from the dead. But there's more. There's more to this. First John chapter 3, uh, verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Not only have we been made right with God, but we've been adopted by him. We are now, we went from being his enemies to being his children. Children of God and joint heirs in, with Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Jesus gave us a clue in John 14, verse 6, when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And later on, in, or earlier on in John 644, where he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them to me. So God, in his grace toward us, drew us to himself, opened our eyes to our desperate state and sin and to the power and the beauty of Christ. And he gave us faith to trust in Christ as Lord. He, he made us right with God by faith in Christ and he has welcomed us into his family, sovereignly declaring us sons and daughters and joint heirs with Jesus. Tomlin's got it right. Nobody loves me like you love me, Jesus. 
So first, we saw a truth about love. Next, let's look at a warning. Second, a warning about love. Verse 20. John has a pattern in this letter of abruptly pointing out uh, when our actions don't match our words. He doesn't, he doesn't waste words in this. 1 John 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, meaning God in Christ, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's 1 John 1, 6. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Not meaning that, that God becomes a liar because of our sin, but that we portray him to be a liar because we're not walking in step with the commandments he's given us. All right? So we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Chapter 2, verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness, is in the darkness until now. And now, uh, in our passage today, chapter 4, verse 20, if someone, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And then John uses this word for, which is a ground. It's giving us an, an understanding of why what he just said was what he just said. So he says this, and next. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Loving people around us that we can see is evidence, proof, even a necessary overflow of loving God whom we can't see and therefore cannot know unless God intervenes and makes himself known to us. Let, let me say that one more time. Loving people around us that we can see is evidence, proof, the necessary overflow of loving God, whom we can't see and therefore cannot know unless God intervenes and makes himself known to us. So friend, if, if you don't love people, John is saying, there's a good chance you don't know Jesus. You, you can't walk around and claim to be in Christ, claim his name, and show utter contempt for people around you. You, you can't. And not just like, oh, you can't do that, like, like oh, oh, you shouldn't. No, it's impossible. And it's at this point that we have to remember why the Holy Spirit led John to write this. And please be encouraged, church. God is a faith builder, not a faith destroyer. This is not meant to tear you down. Instead, it's meant to reveal your sin to you and my sin to me, to convict us of it, to encourage us toward maturity in Christ through repentance and faith. And if you're not a believer, if you're not trusting in Christ, then God knows that. And he has placed this text. And he's placed you here to hear this text today so that your sin would be revealed to you. Sound familiar? And that you would be convicted of it and that you would be encouraged towards what? Not necessarily maturity yet in Christ, but towards salvation in Christ through faith and repentance. So no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what situation you're in this morning, please hear this. Though this sounds like a scathing rebuke, it is meant 
It is in love. It is God's love toward us that he reveals our sin to us. Praise God for that. What a gift. So first, we saw the truth about love. We love because God first loved us. Second, we saw a warning about love. Anyone who loves God but also hates his brother is a liar. And now let's look at verse 21. Verse 21, we'll see a command about love. A command about love. Verse 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. First of all, I just want you to notice, like, what does John even say? Before he even starts, he says, we have this command. This is a command. This is not advice. It's not a suggestion. Oh, if you get around to it, you know, consider this. Throw it in the pot, right? No. It's a command. It's a command that's meant to be obeyed. Not to be considered, but to be obeyed. And it's a command that comes from who, church? It comes from God. It comes from the Lord. And again, when we say that word, we, I think sometimes in, in church culture, we can, that, sometimes that word just gets kind of robbed of its meaning because we use it so much. But that word Lord means owner, ruler, absolute master. So this is a command to be obeyed from our absolute ruler and master. And he says this. First, who? Who is this command for? He says, the one who loves God. That means every believer. Every believer. So if you're in the sound of my voice today or in this room or whether you're online later, please hear me. If you claim to know Christ, if you're trusting in Christ alone for salvation and serving him by faith, then this command is for you. It is intended from before eternity. It is intended for you. So whoever loves God, next, should do what? Whoever loves God should love. Again, what is love? Love is a choice accompanied by emotion to sacrificially give of yourself, time, energy, money, possessions, etc. for the good of someone else. And again, what's their ultimate good? Maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. There is nothing that isn't on the table here. Our lives and our everything we have isn't really ours at all. It, come from, it comes from God who has invested these things for the purpose of, accom- of accomplishing his mission. Please hear me. Everything that you have, Christian, everything that you have, your very life is, in, is an investment from the Lord to accomplish the plans that he has for you. I was talking with Bill Huffseller this morning about soldiers getting entangled in civilian affairs. Church, we, we can't afford to sit back and think that, that it's just easy life, normal, daily. We are at war. We are at war within ourselves for the gospel to advance in our hearts so that Christ gains more and more of the preeminence in us. We are at war, not with the people around us, but we are at war with rulers and principalities it's a spiritual war that's taking place that the gospel would advance in callahan and jacksonville and to the ends of the earth we are at war and everything that we have is weaponry from the lord everything that we have is 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 invested in us for a return 
Jesus Christ expects and in turn on his investment in you. We must have a wartime footing. Not that we live in destitute poverty. God's mission isn't to run you into the ground, but at the same time, there is a mission that must be accomplished. And he has given you everything you have to do it. And he has promised, as we saw last week, that he will continue to give you everything you need to accomplish it. But he expects a return on his investment church. Are we laboring? Are we fighting to advance the gospel in our own hearts and to the ends of the earth? He doesn't want his investment to be wasted. To be wasted. So, Anyone who loves Christ must, should love. And again, that word should, actually, it's, it's stronger than just what we would consider in contemporary English to should. It, it embodies the weight of a command, as John, as John has already implied. So third, then, to whom? Who are we to love? He says this, his brother. Anyone who loves Christ, anyone who loves God is to love his brother also. It's a family term. John uses it in the same way each time in this book, meaning fellow Christians. I grew up here in the South, and, uh, which means I heard this term mentioned a lot. Uh, I went to seminary in Memphis, same place that Cody went, and you hear that a lot. And uh, sadly, uh, if we're not on guard, then what really, what, what happens a lot, maybe you've done this too, is that you use the word brother when, uh, when you don't know somebody's name. Well, hey there, brother. It's good to see you. Now, that doesn't mean that we never use it as a term of affection, but I think that's the problem. When we get so used to, uh, to a word, then it, it starts to lose its meaning, doesn't it? Our brothers and our sisters in Christ, this is our family. Church, we are not just a, a, a gathering on Sunday. We are a people We are a family of faith that has gathered, that God himself has gathered together for his glory and for our good and for the good of the nations. John, 1 John 3, verse 16 through 18 says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for the brothers, our brothers and sisters. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Because loving talk, though loving talk is wonderful, please hear me, it's not devaluing loving talk, but if that's all it is, just talk. Loving talk that's never expressed truthfully, indeed, in action, is revealed to be just that. It's just talk. It's hollow and even fake. In a world that is hungry for more than just this self-centered love that, that we were talking about earlier, a lo- the world that starved for that kind of love can see that from a mile away. And I pray uh, when, people are in, in, when people are in the midst of our church family, 
whether it's here on Sunday, whether it's in the midst of our, in the midst of our, our Sunday school classes, or whether, it's, whether we gather together outside in the midst of, in the, midst of the community. My prayer is that they would see a genuine community that genuinely loves each other. And God is telling us here that his expectation is that because he has loved us, he has loved us in this way. So we ought to love each other. And it's at this point that I want to encourage you, church. Let me encourage you with this. The reality is you don't have what it takes. There it is. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that a great way to start rounding it up on Sunday morning? You don't have what it takes. Remember a preacher that I served under once that did a whole sermon series called You Don't Have What It Takes. What an encouraging thought, right? Why would I say that? Because we want so much to say that we have something, however small it might be, to think that we have something we can put on the table with Jesus. Something we can bring to the negotiation and say, okay, Jesus, I'll bring this. And and you bring bring your stuff too. And and we'll work on this together, right? Not just in salvation, but even in in my serving. Like, yes, God, I'm gonna gonna, gonna bring my A game. And uh, you do your part too. We would never say it that way, but I would be lying if in the depths of my heart that thought didn't exist more often than I would care to admit. And the problem with that is is that apart from Christ, we're dead. We are spiritually dead. There's nothing good in us. Ephesians 2 verse 1 makes it clear. Paul says, you were dead and your trespasses and sins. We don't want to play the game of how dead was I, right? It's like either you're dead or you're not, right? You weren't a little dead, right? You weren't even, in, and I've, I'm not even going to try to do the right voice, but I, I couldn't even in, in my best Miracle Max Billy Crystal voice say that, he was mo- that I was mostly dead, you know? Some of you will get that later. But dead means all dead. If you were, you were spiritually dead, cut off from God, the, the author of life and source of everything that's good. So you and yourself and I and myself, we have nothing good apart from Jesus. No genuine love to offer anyone. Jesus doesn't just help us through life. Colossians 3 verse 4 says that he is, he is our life. So believer, you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. But praise God, Jesus does. And he can. And he's promised that he will in and through you. Church, we get the front row seats to the greatest show of all time. We get to see God working in and through us. He has promised to do so. And he has given us He has given us the power and the desire to do it through his spirit, who God gave us as a seal, as a promise, as a down payment of our our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1 says. He is working in us, the Holy Spirit is, and he is replacing our sinful, self-centered love with his perfect self-sacrificing 
for your good kind of love. You might say that it's a fruit of the Spirit's work in us. I think I heard that somewhere once, right? Fruit of the Spirit. So today we've seen first a truth about love. We love because he first loved us. Next, we saw a warning about love. Anyone who says, I love God, but does not love his brother, in fact, hates his brother, is a liar. And finally, we saw a command about love. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If, you, if you've ever read 1 John, uh, it's, you may have noticed that it's a bit circular in nature. It's the way that a lot of uh, ancient Eastern literature was, was written. We think of it as kind of like, here's, a, here's my, my main idea and here's my supporting points all focusing back on this main idea. But John writes and he'll, he'll hit a topic and then he'll kind of go to topic B and then topic C. And then he comes back to A again and he puts a little bit different spin on it, a little bit different of a tone, a little bit different um, angle that he's coming at from and then back to B and then maybe back to A again and then, then C. And so it just kind of, it's like this whirlwind. And it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to follow at times, but we, we, so, but we get used to hearing the same things again and again. In the same way that I feel like we've, we've addressed this topic of love several times, even in my short time here in the last year and a half or so. And, and my question, church, uh, well, here, my concern is that we hear a sermon about love now and we think, oh, well, it's another sermon about love. Just another one. It's all the same. Can we just move on to something new? Can we move on to something better? And let, let, me, let me warn you with this that would be dangerous for us. It would be dangerous. And my question then is, church, instead of seeking to move on to something new, are we obeying what we already know? Because if we're honest, we're, we're all guilty of knowing more than we obey. Are we loving our brothers and sisters any more like Christ since the last time we talked about love from this pulpit? The last thing we want is for us to have a reputation of being, again, a bunch of big Bible heads walking around with no application. Look at my knowledge. Look at how much I know. And we, we, we become the, the well, actually people, right? Well, actually, you know, it was, it was this way. Well, you know, actually, it was this. You know, like make sure you get it right. Which, aiming for truth is a good thing, but it, when we're not practicing the things that we've learned, if we know all about love, but we're not practicing love, what does that say about us? What does that say about the gospel in our midst? Because John, James chapter 4, verse 17, another writer who is not known for, for wasting words says this, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. Did you hear that, church? To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Uh, uh, to his account, that is sin. And when sin is tolerated within the church, heresy is not far behind. And church, I, I, I believe truly that we have a good thing going, but the second that we start excusing sin in our personal lives, and I mean, I'm not just from the pulpit, but in our individual lives, the more that we allow sin to be com for us to be comfortable in our sin in the midst of the church, 
the greater the door, the, the, the foot in the door is for heresy and for us to be led off track. And so we guard truth, not just for our sake, but for the church's sake. We, we keep a short account of our sins, not just so that our relationship with God is right, but that our relationship with our church and that our church's health is right. Because one sin left unchecked can wreck everything. It's dangerous. And to be a church like that where sin is, is allowed to endure appears to be a liar and a joke in the midst of a world that is desperate for the gospel and for the love of Christ that issues forth from like a, like a fountain. And if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ, if he's not Lord over your life this morning, again, as I said last week with comfort, this love that we're talking about It's not yours. But the beauty of it is, is that it it could be. And that Jesus Christ himself stands ready to save you. I beg you, after service today, come down and talk with me or one of the others that are going to be standing up here. We would love to help you take your first steps in trusting Jesus. Church, love is important. Not just in the way that we care, that we, talk, that we deal with other people, but it's an evidence of whether or not we know Christ. Are you loving others like Christ today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us enough that you sent your son to give, to lay his life down for us. And so, Father, now in the face of this command, to lay down our lives for the brethren, to love our, our brothers and sisters as a necessary overflow of loving you and being loved by you. Father, I pray that you would work in us. Lord, we, we see the truth here in the text. And Father, would you give us now the power and the desire to do it. Because Lord, I, in my own heart, there are times where I just don't want to love people. And Lord, I thank you so much that you promise us in Philippians 2 that, that you're working in us to give us the, the power and the desire to do what pleases you. And so please, would you do that now? Father, as there are people, as, as we've gathered here today, Lord, I pray that we would not miss this opportunity to repent of sin and to be made right with you and with with one another. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.